big one for me, my mindset around money. I would get frustrated by your interest in spending on things that weren't necessities because I wanted to you know, save and preserve for building our future, building our legacy, having our dream house someday. And so when I was actually seeing you comfortable with spending on certain things to make you just happy in the moment, it was actually frustrating for me. Deep down upon this reflection, I realized that I wished that I could have given myself that level of freedom with money. I had this scarcity mindset around money. You are listening to The Medicine Podcast. I am Mimi. What is up, everybody? This is Chase. So long story short, we were childhood sweethearts turned husband and wife in our early 20s. Despite following the mainstream script for happiness, we actually divorced for three years. Only to later reunite as soulmates with a brand new outlook on love, God, health, and the real medicines of the universe. If you find yourself wondering, is there more to this life, to health, to God, to love? Then you are in the exact right place. Consider this your bridge to expansion for body, mind, and relationships. We are uncovering and discovering with you. Let's go take the medicine. Welcome back to the Medicine Podcast. My name is Mimi and I have my love, my beautiful blue-eyed magician here with me. What is going on, everybody? The magician. Yes. An archetype. Yes, yes. We may potentially be talking about archetypes today. We will be. And you're also wearing a shirt, a, a beautiful tank, a beautiful blue tank that matches your eyes and has a very large magician tarot card on the top. Tarot the card number one, the magician. Yes, that yeah. is you. Super exciting stuff. And our episode today, super exciting stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We're going to be getting into relationships. Crazy. Crazy, right? <laughs> but we're going to be talking about something we've mentioned, referenced multiple mm -hmm. times. Our relationship has been our greatest teacher. Yeah. Why? Yeah. We have we have this guru mm -hmm. at our disposal. <laughs> at our disposal. <laughs> right here. And so many people do who are in relationships. Yeah. It doesn't have to be romantic. We're going to be talking about romantic relationships for the most part today. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't have to be. It, it can be yeah. just any any relationship that you have in your life. With yeah, friends, family. I mean, it can be a stranger on the street is your mirror. But it's free. Mm -hmm. it's it's right here you don't have to pay for a course or a program or work with a coach and in this world of self-development those things are great but they're also like a lot of marketing and a lot of sales mm -hmm. and we're missing the opportunity to learn from our own lives yeah and it's just a you know something we talk about all the time is is tapping into yourself and your innate wisdom that is ever flowing and available it's just that a lot of people don't tap into that or don't even know that they can. And so, yeah, a lot of what we're going to be talking about today is, you know, getting still and, and asking yourself questions and maybe not looking so externally. I mean, externally, yes, your relationship is, you know, is technically external, but, um, you know, this is important to anyone that wants to really take ownership of their life and create, um, create magic. And, and the best way to do that, in my opinion, is to lean into the intimate relationship with your partner and, you know, um, all the valuable lessons that are there for us 24 seven. Yeah. Whether they're romantic or not, relationships can be one of the biggest opportunities for growth. Mm -hmm. They end up being 
some of the largest opportunities for problems and disease, mm-hmm. dis-ease, yeah. disease in life. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, I'm stoked to get into it today. Um, but first. But first. Before we do, I got to know uh-huh. what you got going on in your cup. In my mushy mug, I got myself some mushy love. Mm. And I, Come on. <laughs> I blended it with some raw milk. And which I've been, we've both been loving lately, the benefits of raw dairy. I went for, I I went most of my life, most of my adult life, all of my adult life, really thinking that dairy was so bad, you know, and, and we're told that it is in mainstream health, but just like people kind of poo poo on meat. It's like, well, if you're talking about the bottom of the barrel factory farmed meat, or bottom of the barrel conventional dairy that's completely different than what you and I are consuming anyways I digress what I got going on in my mug is raw milk mixed with our mushy love latte the cinnamon swirl Mm. latte and it is so good every time I have it I'm just reminded like holy shit this is so yeah so baller the, I'm like, the feedback has been killer, and and I wish we could give it to the world uh, yeah. at this point. But we've we've given samples to a few people who are going to be critical in in helping us launch this thing, and the feedback is unanimously: this is delicious, this is insane. Uh, we we interviewed Angie Lee, uh, which will be coming out probably in a few weeks, and had her taste test it live. I don't want to yeah. you know spoiler alert yeah. for that episode, but let's just say she loved it. She did. Yeah, that was fun. Um, so yeah, if you haven't heard about our our mushy love latte, it's our own formulation mushroom elixir that we have been developing over the last, we've been talking about planning, developing for at least two years now. And we it is finally here. It's launching this summer. And if you want to snag a bag, um, we're doing a limited supply this first run. So if you want to make sure you get your hands on this bad boy and then you can go to the medicine.com forward slash mushy love that's m-u-s-h-y-l-o-v-e and uh, you can put in your information there and those people on our vip list will have a will have basically early access to the pre-sale so you'll like make sure that you get a bag and then you'll also get Uh, exclusive discount and you'll also be added to our close friends list on instagram so you'll get a bunch of like behind the scenes content as we get ready to launch and super fun stuff coming it everything's moving along but um we just yeah we got we got to be patient and we are so excited for the world the public to actually get this in their cups in their mugs and in their mouths yeah in addition to just being delicious it it literally tastes like a liquid cinnamon Mm -hmm. roll um how clean this thing is all organic ingredients Mm-hmm. Um, two of our favorite mushrooms, tremella and chaga. Yep. A, a whole gram of mushrooms, and they're yeah. 100. They're 100 mushrooms. They're not like these micellated grains and and kind of like mixtures that unfortunately is kind of flooding the the mushroom space right now. Um, and a bunch of great uh, ingredients for your gut. And really, this is like a this is a gentle beauty mm-hmm. immunity um, immunity gut supporting product that really is one of a kind, caffeine free as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm so stoked for this and, and to get this to the world. We don't know hard timelines at this point, but it's going to be summer, um, you know, July safely. We can we can assume July. This thing yeah. will be ready to get into people's bodies. <laughs> and um, yeah, check it out. Um, we're going to be leaking out little bits of information as we get more. And uh, yeah, nothing but mushy love for this thing. Yeah. What you got going on in your cup, my love? Well, my cup, my glass, I already, already drank it. So <laughs> I kind of uh, am not currently sipping on it 
It's in my you body. You drink drinks really fast. I have two of my absolute favorites. And, and the combination of these two is so underrated. I have Organifi Green Juice Crisp Apple. So Organifi came out with a crisp apple version of their green juice. It's literally the same clinical do- dose of ashwagandha. Super great ingredients like spirulina and chlorella for the detoxification process that the body um, has. And th- this time they added a little apple uh, flavor. And it's not artificial apple flavor. It's actually Washington State apples. Holler. There's a couple other apples in there as well, but I love to make that claim because yeah. <laughs> uh, we are from the state of Washington. Yep. I mix this thing with, just came back out for Organifi. It's one of Organifi's seasonal products. Glow, baby. Mm. Raspberry lemonade, mixture of aloe vera, coconut water. It's mm-hmm. got a little tremella mushroom, which we already love, tremella mushroom. For it's, that glow job. For the glow job. It's really good for hydration. You know, it's a collagen supporting product, so it helps the body uh, create collagen uh, innately. Mm-hmm. And uh, it tastes like a raspberry lemonade. And it's mixed with this apple green juice. Mm-hmm. It is a raspberry green apple lemonade love it. thing. Um, <laughs> that is freaking delicious. So you guys know we love Organifi. Um, it is literally in my my DNA. My, my, my DNA. Point. My heart beats for this company. And uh, check it out if you haven't had Glow and if you haven't had the new green apple. Yeah. Get it now. Mm-hmm. Um, Glow is seasonal. I'm hoping it's successful enough with Green Apple that we keep this product going. Um, But at this point, we don't totally know. So um, check it out. It's a really awesome combo, and you will thank yourself for it. Guys, if you want to know, we'll put the the discounts in the the show notes, um, but we pretty much have everything that we ever talk about from a product perspective on Mm -hmm. the medicine cabinet. That is on our website, themedicine.com. You can go to the medicine cabinet and see pretty much everything that we uh, ever talk about on a podcast. Um, or if you can't remember a discount code for a certain, like clear stem or, or w- these other brands that we talk about all the time, you're like, Oh, you know, I still get those DMS all the time. What's your discount code for blank. If you ever forget, it's all in the medicine yeah. cabinet. Yeah. And we'll, we'll keep that updated. We've got a couple more products that we've actually, we're, we're trying on right now. In mm-hmm. fact, um, we, we like to test things for at least 30 to 60 days before we mention them even at all on yeah. a podcast uh, or work with them. And so we've got a couple more we're trying. We're excited to announce those probably in the next few episodes or so. But um, yeah. And if, hey, if you guys are last housekeeping thing, if you will, yeah. if you guys are loving the medicine, mm-hmm. we would love it if you shared. Yeah. If you gave us feedback, if you shared an episode to your story, drop a link on where, uh, you know, somebody else could find the episode. Yeah. Or leave us a review. That, leave us that, a review. I mean, that's honestly the, the one of the best ways to support the show is either using the products that, you know, help keep this thing going uh but also just you know free 99 is leaving a review you know a genuine five-star review is so much appreciated and if when you leave a review you take a screenshot before you push submit and you send it to the medicine podcast at gmail.com we will actually send you a thank you gift because we are so grateful to you it could be some Organifi. It could be maybe a bottle of Immune Intel. It's gonna. It would be a total surprise, but we always make it worth your yeah. time. Hell yeah. All right. All right. Let's get into this. Let's Relationships do it. are your teacher. Relationships mm-hmm. are your guru. Mm-hmm. If, we, if we want them if to we be. If we want them to be. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you said it already, but, uh, you know, relationships can be a source of a lot of you know, seemingly difficult situations and, and uh, triggers and things like that. But it's 
we're going to get into this today, it's not actually the relationship that is the root of what it is that you're feeling that's negative, right? The relationship is just the conduit that yeah. it comes about. It's just the vessel. It's the mirror. It's the vehicle through which we learn about ourselves and our partner. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if we lean into learning from our relationship as a teacher, as a guru, man, it just brings it brings you to this place where when there are difficult times in your in your relationship, whatever you're going through, it gives so much meaning, you know, when you can really look at these different things as lessons yeah. that are here that we're being invited to lean into and propel our self-development and self-evolution. So I think it's it's beautiful. Is it always easy? Absolutely not. Yeah. We, we know just as well as anyone. I mean, if you're new to the medicine, Chase and I were childhood sweethearts, married very young. We end, ended up divorcing and three years later, you know, after a crazy amount of self-development, we organically reunited and we're now three years into this part two. So we are right beside you guys moving through this stuff. Like we are using our relationship as a teacher every single day. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. It, you said it, but we, we talk often on, on the medicine about the thing behind the thing. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times this isn't really about the person directly. Rather, it's our inability to get along with them. It's our inability to fully and clearly express ourselves to them mm -hmm. when we're around them. And these little filters that we put on compartmentalize our authentic self. It festers, it twists, and it shows up in weird ways. And we'll get into it more. But relationships and our ability to navigate through them successfully are a key pillar to evolving and growing our life. Like, that's pretty much what we're going to be talking about today, how we can do that, how relationships can be your greatest teacher, your personal guru, your access for personal development. So just like a little bit of an outline for today, we're going to get into a kind of a few different sections. First off, why are relationships such a powerful healing tool? So we want to talk a little bit about like the psychology behind relationships and a couple of these topics like projecting and mirroring and triggers that come about mm -hmm. from kind of a psychology's uh, lens in relationships and how we work with them. Just as a little a little bit of the why, I think it's really important to set the why behind mm -hmm. what we're doing behind yeah. what we're talking about. <clears throat> yeah, why does this matter? Totally. And then we're going to to show you sort of three ways uh, that are really close to home for us as far as like what they're showing you. So mm -hmm. first, we're going to talk about how they show up as a teacher for you. You know, your ego, your persona, your personality. Um, two about your programming. Mm -hmm. You know, your, your upbringing, your parents' relationship, the religious community you may have come through, the, the culture or the society that you may have come through that have groomed you into being a particular way that you might be unconscious to. Mm -hmm. And then lastly, the macro. We mentioned it at the start of the episode, but we're going to talk about archetypical patterns that are at play through humans just at large, through history at large, that again, we may not be conscious to, but are actually playing out. Mm -hmm. And it, if we can put our awareness towards them, we can have a little more insight. Yeah. So we'll, we'll kind of go through each one of these and then start really talking about like how these insights, what do we do with this information? Mm -hmm. How do we turn this information into opportunities for growth? And big disclaimer for this whole episode is like we could go on for yeah. 50 hours. So we're going to try to give 
our life examples and our personal lenses of how we've looked at these um, teaching opportunities and pivoted them or turned them into opportunities for growth. Yeah. Uh, so, so with that, we, this isn't an exhaustive mm -mm. list of <laughs> possibilities. It's rather just kind of through our lens. And, I, and I'm sure it will strike yeah. a chord of resonance uh, or empathy for people listening. Um, but there's so much more to go here. Yeah. And I, I just wanted to provide a little bit of, before we get into the meat of the episode, a little bit of uh, encouragement because dipping into the unknown or uncharted territory, whether inside of us or externally, maybe in our relationship, it can, it can feel scary sometimes or a little unnerving, like not really knowing like what you're going to find or what you're going to experience. And I totally get that. I've been there. We've been there. Um, and so I just wanted to give some encouragement with this quote. Um, from the book that I'm reading right now. It's called The Woman's Wheel of Life. Fear is an ally, if we but make it so. The process of becoming afraid is really that of discovering that our experience and beliefs cannot decode a new situation. Our reality is shifting and we don't know what to do. Fear is the harbinger of growth heralding the need to step outside the confines of what we know as true. Fear is our ally in that it alerts us, energizes us, and keeps us awake. Mm. I love that because it really distills it down to, you know, when we feel afraid, what is it really? And it's, it's basically our fear is alerting us to, you know, keeping us awake to a shifting reality, which yeah. in and of itself isn't bad, isn't necessarily scary, but for your ego, for your brain, that's like, uh, I haven't been here before. You know, it, it's trying to keep you alive and, and keep you on solid, you know, proverbial ground. But it's, I, I just love this phrase that it's discovering that our experience and beliefs cannot decode a new situation. Yeah. Basically, I haven't ever been here before. You know, and uh, so I think that that when we when we distill it down and when we kind of look at it under a microscope like that, it's like, yeah, OK, like that's it's not actually that scary. And the more you do it, that confidence begets confidence at your ability to move through the potentially difficult situations in your life and in your inner world to move through them more quickly with more um, confidence, I guess. Yeah, totally. I love that reframe on fear. Mm -hmm. Um and I think too often we we make fear too literal uh, as far as like what we're afraid of lions tigers bears we're afraid of war we're afraid of physical pain death but it's it's that it's that you know statistic that's like most people are most afraid of like public speaking yeah <laughs> and it's like the fear of going within themselves and looking at their own shit yeah I mean I think that one is fear of being seen being seen oh god forbid you know like yeah. somebody sees you vulnerable um so yeah th it's so spot on yeah. so let, let's jump into a little bit of the psychology and and i feel like a little imposter syndrome <laughs> because like I, i've been reading and studying carl jung for you know some time and there's so much here and yeah and i'm not trying to be a, a paul check wannabe i'm just like sharing some of the things that have that have yeah. come up and, and this guy is just freaking awesome um, so Carl Jung, he's a Swiss psychologist and psychiatrist who literally founded analytic psychology. He proposed and developed the concept actually of extroverted and introverted personality types. He is known for his, uh, I'm saying content, like he's a influencer or something, yeah. <laughs> but his content around archetypes and the collective unconscious, um, his work has basically been just profoundly 
influential in psychiatry, psychology, mm -hmm. study of religion, literature, all related fields. Yeah, so let's look at what Carl Jung says about relationships. He says that relationships are a transformational experience. Quote, the meeting of two personalities is like the contact of two chemical substances. If there is any reaction, both are transformed. This is so simple, and, and I love this. It's like when we come together in a relationship, especially if it's like over a longer period of time, it is nearly impossible not to feel mm -hmm. the effects of the other person. Right. In a truly deep exchange of energies, our entire beings may become fundamentally and thoroughly transformed. So, like, when I hear that, what comes up for me is, number one, be really careful who you yeah. let into this chemical combination. Right. Yeah. Um, and then, it, you know, it, it may have great consequences uh, for your well-being or yeah. great opportunities. Um, and then point two is, like, just, just that this is an opportunity for personal evolution, yeah. any relationship. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, stoked to get into this, like leaning a little bit further, Jung talks about projecting and mirroring, which we'll, we'll mention a lot today. He says that everything that irritates us about others can lead us to a better understanding of ourselves. And I think most people have probably heard this idea yeah. that anything that bothers us about someone else is likely something that we yeah. ourselves have an issue with. But I think it's like a lot easier to just point out the faults in others than it would be to then like reverse uh, the psychology of yourself yeah. and start trying to recognize them in us. So we typically just completely ignore the signs of opportunity mm -hmm. to work and we we may know this idea that like oh what you don't like in somebody else is really what you don't like about yourself but i think we bypass that a lot yeah. because like no they're such a freaking asshole it has <laughs> nothing to do with me yeah and i mean it's so easy to just put the wall up there and be like yeah they bother me um i think once you hear it multiple many many multiple times like we have i now have gotten to the point where if, if I notice something that annoys me or bothers me in, some, in someone else, it's not a far behind thought where I'm thinking, do I do that? Yeah. You know, like, where do I do that? Yeah. Um, and do I accept that about myself or not? And, and not in a shameful way, but just a curiosity mm -hmm. way, which obviously we're going to be talking a lot about that as well. The, the concept of curiosity. Um, but I have an example of this, you know, <laughs> there's many examples, but one that came to mind for me is... I used to, you know, you know, maybe three, four years ago, uh, I, I, in the past felt judgment for other women who were very much in their wild and free and flowing feminine, like kind of like the quintessential, like hippie vibe type girl. Mm -hmm. That's just like literally on cloud nine. And she just like dances across the rainbow bridge all day, every day. <laughs> it bothered me not because this woman or these women were doing anything wrong. Like it's, it's quite beautiful, but because I was suppressing that side of me, because I thought that a woman was this type of way or that type of way, or I just didn't fully accept that part of me that wanted to be free and flowing and super feminine. Um, I was seeing it in a woman who was already there and it bothered me that I wasn't able to get there without feeling silly or stupid or whatever. And since I've become kind of awake to this, like, oh, that's why that girl bothers me. She's not doing anything wrong. Yeah. 
um, since I have become awake to that, I can tell now, like I can recognize it and be like, oh man, that's so cool. I'm so happy for her. Like you really do get past this, uh, judgment when you just realize like, oh, it's because I haven't fully stepped into that myself. Yeah. And that's just one small example, but <clears throat> there's many in No, it's life. perfect. And, and I have so many, we're going to get into this, right? We're going to get into this. It, it, it shows us about our ego. And then it's like, mm-hmm. wait, how did this happen? Well, maybe yeah. it's our childhood programming. Maybe yeah. nobody ever modeled that. Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe Christianity, uh, or other religions or other religions, uh, <laughs> would, would not allow yeah. the feminine to realize this potential. Thus, yeah kind of stifle the power of free flowing femininity yeah. uh, or it could be archetypical. So yeah, we'll get into that uh, a bit later. I, th- I think another, another point um, as we're looking at kind of the, the, what is relationship showing us? I, I love the way you, you spell out that it, it actually points us to our own authentic mm-hmm. self. Yeah. Yeah. It lets us know, like kind of puts right back into your face, like how, what am I putting out into the world? And is it aligned with my real, my true, my eternal self, my higher self, my soul, whatever you want to call it, that part of me, which is the purest. And for me, like, that's where I want to operate from. I'm not (laughs) there yet. I'm not perfect by any means, but it's not simply like what we are unconscious to, like what we're missing, but it's also what we are actively putting out there. And you know, being in relationship, it really does reflect reflect back to you. How well am I showing up in alignment with my soul, my authenticity, my real authenticity? So these relationships, you know, our relationships can can reveal these deep truths, but they also have the ability to inform us of our own authenticity. And are we showing up and living life in alignment with our soul? And if that authenticity is is low or whatever you want to call it. If it's not true, you might feel some discomfort there. You might feel some resistance or some like, like, wait, you know, it'll feel like not so great if you know that like you could be showing up better and more authentic as yourself. Totally. Yeah. I love that. It's, it's going to suggest where your authentic self is isn't showing up because mm-hmm. you know you're stifling it or that it's morphed into some <laughs> other version of you that is not where you you, yeah. you really sit or when it's done correctly mm-hmm. you are vulnerably putting your authentic self out there and it's landing on your partner to in a response that is love of the relationship and that's bliss mm-hmm. that's ideal then it's i'm being me i'm showing myself to this other individual they're mirroring back love for that version of me and now I've created something very fulfilling, very yeah. rewarding. And I have, I'm have i able to pinpoint like, yeah, that's, yeah. M- that's me. I think uh, just a silly small example of this is like if dude guy is an accountant and he hates his nine to five job, but he, he his real dream is to be an artist. But for whatever reason, he doesn't think that he could make money or he doesn't think that he'll be accept- accepted by his family or like he doesn't know if he's good enough to be a real artist and make money at it. He might squash that side of him. And if he sees someone fully showing up as their full authentic self as an artist, he might have resentment for that person because he's not able to show up as yep. his authentic and live his authentic dream. So it's like it can it can happen everywhere, you yeah. know, even with someone who's not your romantic partner. Totally. I think the other thing that that uh, relationships show us about ourselves is they can really highlight our triggers. And there's this Carl Jung quote. He says, until you make the unconscious conscious, it will direct your life 
and you will call it fate. So our relationships as mirrors are one way that we can witness our unconscious becoming becoming conscious in the form of triggers. And this is a good thing. Like the, the term trigger has a really sort of negative connotation, like my partner triggered me or that person triggers me or so-and-so stranger yeah. on social media triggers me or whatever. But really, you know, this this is a good thing. What it's doing is it's bringing something from your unconscious into your conscious awareness that this is potentially an area or aspect of your life that maybe needs some extra love, maybe needs some healing, maybe need to peel back the layers and start asking questions and get curious about, you know, why does this certain thing bother me so much? Yeah. I think when we can get curious about it, like first, like, oh, I was triggered. Huh. I wonder why. Like that's where the real real growth is when when looking at our triggers and um in part one of our relationship and sometimes still today i deal with this not perfect yet but a major trigger for me in part one of our marriage was when i felt like you or someone else was believing me to be incompetent or incapable of something and this is a trigger because there was an unconscious part of me that believed that about myself that would question like, but how smart am I really? Like, am I really that capable? Am I really that smart? Am I really that, you know, whatever? So when someone else would bring it up or would say something that could be perceived as that, because I, some small part of me believed that, there was a deep sensitivity there. And then I would be triggered, I thought, by you. Mm. Even though you may have not even meant it that way, but our perception is, yeah. you know, is reality. And so um, when I was unconscious to this, ultimately it did affect our life and marriage significantly. And it wasn't the only factor. There was many moving parts and pieces of our divorce, but it definitely had a part in it, um, which goes back to our unconscious directing our life and calling it fate. Yeah. I could have said like, oh, Chase doesn't Chase, you know, we couldn't communicate or he just wasn't the right person. It just wasn't meant to be, a.k.a. Yeah. fate, when really it was my unconscious behavior, um, you know, that was unconscious and it was directing my life. If you've been playing around with the thought of Botox for forehead lines or crow's feet or just frustrated by your acne scars, listen up, my love. ClearStem just brought back their no Botox repair serum that tells your skin to repair itself and generate new healthy collagen. This has quickly become my favorite of their products, and here's why. The blend of growth factors, peptides, and collagen-derived stem cells immediately feeds your skin what it needs to bounce back from internal stress, UV damage, acne scars, and other environmental aging triggers. Bounce Back is perfect for anyone who wants to avoid Botox, prolong the results of their existing Botox, prevent further lines from forming, and those of us who deal with deeper acne scarring. These ingredients are the real deal and as always, hormone-friendly and non-pore clogging. Completely corrective and targeted for skin repair. You will notice your skin visibly smoother, brighter, and healthier looking in just a few uses. I personally use Bounce Back once a day, usually in the morning, followed by ClearStem's Hydro Glow 
moisturizer. To get your lovely little hands on some bounce back or any of the anti-acne, anti-aging, truly clean Clearstem products, go to clearstemskincare.com and use the code MIMI for a nice hefty discount or check it out in our medicine cabinet linked in the show notes. You and your skin are going to love this stuff. Yeah, totally. Um, playing kind of hand in hand with this this trigger is this act of projecting, which we do so often in relationships. I mean, a classic example is like the dad who barely made the varsity team and in basketball and blew out his knee and always thought he could play college and, and swears that he could have played in the NBA or something mm-hmm. like uncle Rico and yeah. Napoleon dynamite. <laughs> yeah. They, they of, of, of utmost importance to their kids is like basketball or sports yeah. and being varsity and going to college and trying to be pro they're projecting what they deem important mm-hmm. or maybe they, pro- or an insecurity or an insecurity or something that's frustrating. They project it onto somebody else. Mm-hmm. And this relationship mirroring process is like, whoa, that's where I'm projecting. Mm-hmm. Whoa, that's where their behavior is triggering me. This is just a, this relationship is just this giant mirror that's giving, that's giving us access to like, whoa, there's my projection. Yeah. Whoa, there's my trigger. And so, and so as it pertains to projecting, when we put our shit on someone else, we're judging them that in a way that only leads us to a path of blame and victimhood loops. Mm-hmm. It's very likely if someone has captured our attention in a relationship, it's probably because there's something like close to home of, of interest or importance or insecurity that we're finding ourselves uh, uh, kind of unconsciously attracted to, which is a great opportunity for self-exploration. We can clarify like why why this projecting and mirroring exercise is important is because we can start to really get clear on our inner darkness like shedding light on those areas that set us off for instance when we were married in part one i tend to be a little bit of a perfectionist i i have always been really good at a lot of things Mm -hmm. and um good in the terms of like I get a pat on the back from authority figures like, oh, you're a good student, you're a good athlete, you're good, you're smart, whatever, whatever. When I started out my career, I was just brand spanking new in, in finance and really had no fucking idea what I was doing. <laughs> and that I, I felt unperfect. And so mm-hmm. I projected that insecurity of perfectionism into the relationship. Mm-hmm. The bills aren't paid on time. I would lose it. Um, if if the grocery list and the monthly budget that I would created for our little you know early relationship wasn't maintained properly it was just uh, such a point of frustration and that was from my projecting of this thing that i deemed important which is execution of perfect you know perfection yeah question Um, yeah you know as we're talking about projection and and we're talking about it in a way that is our insecurities something that we hold dear we are you know physically projecting that on someone else we love. We see it a lot from parents, obviously you, in your example of the dad that really wanted to play, you know, in, in the NBA or whatever. And so he's projecting that onto his son now and pushing him through basketball and mm-hmm. everything. I just had this question <clears throat> run through my head. Is all religious teaching from parent to child projection then? You know what all I mean? All religious because, teaching? Yeah. So like when a parent teaches the child about their religious beliefs and they want them to pick oh. them up. Yeah. I mean, I, no, it's a good question. I think that could definitely be defined as projecting. It depends on how it's done. If it's yeah. if it's 
embodied. Um, and this, this gets to a, a whole separate point that we talk about all the time as it pertains to relationships, uh, which is if you <coughs> have adopted something that you maintain to be really valuable, like a religion, maybe it's a fitness protocol, mm -hmm. maybe it's a, a nutrition protocol or eating habits, and you are on fire for this thing because it's serving you well, you can project that onto a significant other, you can project it onto a family member or a friend, yeah. and it becomes fucking annoying for the other person. <laughs> yeah. Because it's like, I don't want to do this. This is your shit. Stop projecting your shit onto yeah. me like I'm going to like it. Yeah. So I think if you're indoctrinating kids through religion, which is something we won't do, we will embody whatever we're practicing at the time, mm -hmm. make available the information and, and allow our child the independent choice when they're mature enough to choose whatever the hell they want. Yeah. Um, but like in our case, we grew up with, you're a Christian. Yeah. This, this is, is what Christianity. we do. This is what we believe. This is the only way. Yeah. So yeah, no, it's a great question. And I think that kind of under the umbrella of what we're talking about is definitely projecting. Yeah. I just never had that thought before in the, in the terms of projection and, uh, yeah, wanted to see your thoughts. Yeah. So, so all these things are coming up, right? All these little tools, triggers, mirroring, um, an ability to see our authentic self and, and all of this gives us an opportunity for what self acceptance. Mm -hmm. Jung says that knowing your own darkness is the best method for dealing with the darknesses of other people. He says, we cannot change anything until we accept it. Mm -hmm. Condemnation, condemnation does not liberate. It oppresses. So when we start to accept more of ourselves, like literally out of a place of just curiosity and compassion, we start to do the same with others, yeah. with our partner, with our family or loved ones. And like even strangers, you start yeah. to pick up on things that would have triggered you or that you might have projected onto them some story that you're telling them about the way that they look or, or, or how they got to this place, you start to have more empathy and compassion. Yeah. I start to ask the questions like you, you, there's so many opportunities on social media with just division everywhere and duality and really like kind of just hate spewing mm -hmm. all the time. If I see something, you know, that someone is expressing that doesn't line up with something that I embody or believe to be true in my life or whatever, I'm not saying that I'm always perfect at this, but I've noticed over the years as I've had more curiosity and compassion for myself in all areas. And I've noticed that instead of like judging that person for feeling or believing differently, I, the question in my mind is, huh, I wonder what happened in their life to get them to that conclusion. Like, I wonder what has accumulated in their life that would lead them to that truth for themselves which I think is a really, you know, it feels certainly better than hate and judgment for sure. Sure. Just this curiosity. And this is really important, this concept of acceptance first. We can only grow from this place of acceptance. We've said this many times, you know, sprinkled here and there in different podcast episodes, but shame and guilt is important to observe in ourselves, but it's not an inspirational emotion. In my experience, it does not foster long-lasting, real transformation. It keeps us stuck in past stories. If we are operating from shame, we're operating from the past. Whatever happened in the past that made us feel shame, guilt, or judgment for ourselves, and it doesn't it doesn't have this quality of evolution. It's keeping you in the past and, and stuck, really. So on the other hand, compassion and curiosity really facilitate creativity, which then allows us to consider what we actually want to create, what we actually want to experience 
in our life. It must start with acceptance. And we also see this play out in stages of grief. These are, you know, common. You can Google them. The stages of grief when, say, someone dies. First, there's denial, there's anger, then bargaining, depression, and then acceptance. Acceptance is this last stage from when the person now can, okay, I can take the lessons or I can move on or I can evolve through this process, through this really difficult situation. We must experience the non-acceptance first though to give context uh, to have to to really understand what acceptance truly feels like yeah. in our life, Be- and I can you know speak to that fully. Like when I was operating out of shame and guilt and non-acceptance of myself, it felt really really bad all the time. And I'm so glad I have that context though, because now the acceptance is like oh my god, it's like taking a breath like a full breath of air out of breathing through a straw for 10 years. Yeah. Uh, This is so spot on as it pertains to just personal and spiritual evolution and growth because these stages of grief typically are associated with death Mm -hmm. and divorce. And and, um, if you're reaching the point where you're looking at acceptance of yourself, it's indicative. It's a great sign. It's indicative that you are hitting kind of the last phase of grieving your ego's death. Mm-hmm. And this loop of acceptance is like, wow, I've moved on kind of the denial that I don't need to work on some of these things, maybe the anger, the frustration, uh, the depression. And then I'm moving into this place of being open and accepting of, of yeah. who I might be beyond this mask. Mm-hmm. And that's where it's a good sign. Last point kind of on the, the, the just the psychology of, of, relationships as teachers and and why it's so important is like like we said relationships are these mirrors don't take a hammer to the mirror Mm -hmm. i think where we really get tripped up is that we start shooting the messenger Mm. being our partner who's just literally holding the reflection of what we're putting on so like this is the opportunity where growing as a human being really comes through and it strikes us the hardest Mm -hmm they mirror back to us all of those places within us where we're blind, Mm -hmm. where our egos refuse to look, where maybe we actually have like unfinished business from our families or our ancestors, uh, maybe some deprogramming of unhealthy patterns by people who raised us, or even like zooming all the way back out, understanding and rebalancing some of these macro human archetypal patterns Mm -hmm. that are at play in our life. So unfortunately, I think we end up shooting the messenger before we get to any of these phases, getting angry at our, our significant others, at other people who are showing mm-hmm. us our own shit. But these will lie dormant and unresolved unless you move past this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's almost like once you're aware of this process, you can almost like uh, move ahead and you can move through these stages faster or just immediately go to acceptance. Like yeah. that's that would be the ideal goal, right? Um, Okay, so to help us all prevent and avoid what you just explained, um, we're going to share with you guys some of our own personal lessons in the areas of first, us, our ego, our persona, what we're learning about ourselves and our personality, um, which could also be linked to self-love and self-worth. Two would be our default programming from childhood, community, religious, all of those things. And then three, the macro archetypical 
Mm-hmm. That's Great. a hard word to say. Archetypical patterns in the collective. And then we're going to share with you guys also some potential resources for you to dive deeper into your own work and study if you like. Again, this is a fucking massive topic to talk yeah. about. And this is literally what Carl Jung made his whole career about. Right. Like we there's no way that we can cover it all in an hour and a half podcast. So just listen to what's nudging you. Listen to what's speaking to you. Maybe you've worked through, you know, your idea of self or ego. Maybe you've worked on past life stuff or maybe you've moved through some religious programming and and you're really, you know, being called to or intrigued by these things called archetypes. Wherever you're at in your life journey, like don't try to take it all on. Just just start with whatever speaks to you right now and what makes what resonates most with you and your intuition yeah totally yep so we're going to jump into ego what it shows you about your ego uh that's you 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 personally jumping into programming parents religion and then archetypes so Mm this will be fun we've mentioned it projecting mirroring everything you admire in another person or everything you dislike in another person tends to be something you hold either valuable or frustrating or insecure in your own life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, you know, a small example would be like when I was trying to heal my acne, I was dialed in on what everyone's skin looked like. I immediately, that was the first thing that I saw because it was so important to me. So before you have this awareness, you typically aren't thinking about, you know, what potentially you're contributing to this issue that you start getting pissed about in your partner's, uh, you know, behavior. This because it's your ego. Your personality up to this point is trying to defend its identity by separating yourself, separating your responsibility from the dis-ease of the relationship. This can ultimately cause like the issues for breakups, for divorce, for separation. When one or both of the partner's egos can no longer stand to see themselves mm-hmm. in the other person and look to separate them themselves through either anger, avoidance, passive aggressiveness. You know, it looks different for, for each couple and each person. Mm-hmm. This mirroring, which we've already talked about, can lead to triggering tends to be along the lines of a few core areas, you know, your beliefs, mm-hmm. your your qualities and, and the actions that you've made in this lifetime. Yeah, values. And, and this values. is, yeah, core values. This, <laughs> this is not to say that this kind of mirroring justifies or apologizes a significant other's like poor behaviors. Mm-hmm. It absolutely does not. Like if somebody's punching you in the face, you don't need to sit there and be like, how is this, you know, yeah. really my, there's, what am I a, there's to a learn from this? level of rationale, right? Yeah. And, and self-respect, but we're really just looking at this simply like, can this be an opportunity for me to evaluate whether what is coming up in them also has something to do with me mm-hmm. and whether I am holding myself to the mm-hmm. same standards that I seem to be holding my significant other to. Yeah. We talked about this in the jealousy episode, you know, like, when we're talking about infidelity, cheating, if that happens in the relationship and it's not necessarily your fault, even if there's 1% of, hey, where did I, where was I untrue to myself? Where did I not uh, express boundaries? Where could I have communicated better? Like we can always glean something from every interaction, especially intimate ones like we're talking about. Totally. So so I'm going to jump into a bunch of examples uh, in in our relationship and and in my life that... um, 
the relationship has been the teacher by yeah. showing me things about my ego. Yeah. We are open books. Yeah. And <laughs> we're right alongside you guys. So I already mentioned for perfectionism. I was frustrated by a lack of perfection in our relationship dynamic and the way that we operated. Everything from grocery lists to whether we paid the bills on time because I myself, deep down, was unable to be perfect in my life. This resulted in little understanding for a lack of consistent, perfect execution by us, by you, by people in our life. Yeah. And, and it, it, it led to just a ton of frustration. It's funny when you say perfect because I'm like, what is the perfect? Yeah. Like, what is yeah. perfect mean even? you well, know? And I wasn't, I wasn't saying like, you have to be perfect. I yeah. just like, that was my energy. My energy yeah. was su suggesting it needed to be better. Yeah. Um, physical appearance and health. I would clearly sense your focus on physical appearance as your definition of health because I myself was not as concerned with real deep health and well-being mm -hmm. and was actually more concerned with what I looked like. Mm -hmm. Because I was able to pick up in it, pick it up in you and this focus on um, the external health, I too realized eventually that that's where my primary focus was as well. It was yeah. mirroring and yeah. triggering. Mm -hmm. I had an attachment to labels. My relationship showed me I had an attachment to labels. Why? I had this idea that we had to live in a nice place or look a particular way or have certain things in order for us to be quote unquote accessible. I was attached to a label of success that had been predefined by my ego. This included literally like frustrations with the fact that we were newlyweds with no money and and had to live in kind of a shabby like beach bungalow it was an awesome beach bungalow yeah it had like a freaking amazing view yeah but it was still shabby and i, I had some shame associated yeah, with that totally um big one for me my mindset around money i would get frustrated by your interest in spending on things that weren't necessities because i wanted to you know save and preserve for building our future building our legacy having our dream house someday and so when I was actually seeing you comfortable with spending on certain things to make you just happy in the moment, it was actually frustrating for me. Mm -hmm. At the time, I projected that frustration as, you know, your lack of ability to be financially literate. And rather deep down upon this reflection, I realized that I wished that I could have given yeah. myself that level of freedom with money. I had yeah. this scarcity mindset around money. Especially because it, it's not like I was a shopaholic. It was like, oh, I bought a shirt at Target or something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, another thing my, the relationship taught me about my personality is that when it comes to love languages, at that point in time, in my, my 20s, being heard and listened to as well as quality time with me were major love languages. Mm -hmm. Why did I find this out? Well, I found myself upset when I had uh, to say things twice or when I was not listened to perfectly. Um, little did I know that these are like archetypical pillars of masculinity, which we'll get sure. into a little bit later. Or even when your love expression was like more physical than it was through sharing quality time with me. And on the other hand, like, I felt the most loved when you listened to me and when we were able to make meaningful memories together and spend meaningful time together. So, you know, it wasn't necessarily in the marriage because I, I had to really reflect on these um, looking back. 
But I was like, wow, it clearly evident that my love languages, at least at that point in time in my life, mm-hmm. weren't necessarily words of affirmation or physical touch, yeah. rather quality time and just being respected and heard. Mm-hmm. Um, another one, feeling that I am not enough. So this is one where the trigger and the projection of insecurity, um, you had friends that maybe I didn't know. Um, you, your attention to social media at the time, you know, like Instagram wasn't even that, that yeah. old and Pinterest and Instagram and, and your time spent on those, in those lanes, um, kind of like threatened me in a weird way. And I had this insecurity, like, what if I'm not enough for her? Again, mm-hmm. this, this is post marriage reflecting back on why I did things a particular way. And so it would be like, why are you on your phone? What are you looking at? Like that kind of thing. Um, not as a like, oh, I'm worried that you're doing something inappropriate rather just like, why aren't you focused on me? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Am I not enough for you? Yeah. And kind of trickling into that would be like, I also had this feeling that if you weren't happy, it was my fault always. And it's kind of a narcissistic trait. I would find myself obsessed with making sure that you were happy. If you cried or if you were emotional, I I wanted it to be over immediately. Like, Mm. It was like, what can I do? How can I fix this? How can we move over this? I need you to be over this five minutes because it's making me very uncomfortable. Yeah. And this comes back to what I, uh, again, later through through a lot of self-work um, is a mother wound. Mm-hmm. And it was my uh, my need to make sure that my mom was okay and that mm-hmm. she was happy and that she was okay in the household. Yeah. And so th- these are just a few things that about my personality and my ego, fuck, through that, that part one, that, mm-hmm. that marriage that we had, I've been able to just really clearly identify some some issues, if you will, or opportunities, uh, said better, for the relationship as a teacher. Yeah. I mean, we've had a lot of time at this point and a lot of talking hours um, to really peel back the layers on these lessons that were available to us during our marriage that we unfortunately didn't lean into. We resisted them. And that's ultimately what led to our divorce was not, was that these things coming up and us not knowing how to deal with them inside of ourselves, but then also lacking the communication to, you know, tell our partner what's really going on in a way that they would be able to absorb and digest. Um, but we're, we're past that. (laughs) We've, uh, evolved. We've gotten to the next level where if something difficult comes up in our relationship, we are quick to evaluate, Hey, what's, what's really going on here? What's the thing behind the thing and what is available to us to learn from each other in this moment? And it's, man, it, it feels like, God, a secret to the universe in relationships for sure. Yeah. I'll share a few of mine. Thank you for sharing those. I know it's, you know, it's, I know we live kind of as open books on this podcast, but I never want to just slide over the fact that like, these are really intimate details Mm -hmm. that we're sharing. And, um, yeah, I just, I want to thank you for sharing those. Yeah. So a few of mine, uh, the first one that came up for me immediately was the need to achieve to feel worthy of love. Mm. I didn't understand that, you know, a lot of these are just, we're talking kind of generally in part one of our relationship. Um, I, I didn't understand at that point that I am not the things that I do or the agreements that I make in this world or the career that I choose to live out. I, I, you know, am inside of this body and I'm not the things that I do with the body. So back then I had this idea, like if I'm not showing other people that I'm worthy of love, 
by the things that I'm doing and achieving, why would they think that I'm worthy of love? Why, why would they want to love me? And, uh, you know, obviously this is a, a lot of self-love and self-acceptance, uh, self-worth that I've worked through since then. Um, it still comes up, you know, it's, it's, I'm not quite, uh, there and healing that entirely, but it's definitely better, way better. And I think this is a great example and we'll, we'll get into it a little bit more, uh, where childhood programming can actually evolve and manifest into a weird Mm -hmm. um, materialization of your ego's expression. Yeah. And And you've had it for so long, you just think it's part of your personality. Like if you're in a big family, maybe you're along the youngest or uh, you're Mm -hmm. trying to fight for attention. I'm going to have to prove myself in order to be seen. And then that childhood programming morphs and turns into to your adult persona, mm-hmm. your, your yeah, it's real life ego. Because you don't remember when you pick these things up at four years old, yeah. right? And that was, yeah, I mean, you hit it spot on. I was the youngest of four kids for a long time before we had, they had more kids. But so I was constantly fighting, you could say, or, or trying to make myself seen mm-hmm. as the, the youngest, like, look at me, look at me, I'm, I'm worthy. And uh, yeah. Uh, another one for me was in our marriage, I really struggled with saying, I'm sorry. And there was multiple factors here, but it felt like, you know, now looking back, I can articulate what was going on inside of me, even though then I had no idea that this is what it was. It felt like to me that if, if I say I'm sorry, it felt like I was admitting to doing something that was bad or saying I'm bad for doing this thing. Again, attaching my worth to what I do. And so if I'm bad, then I'm not worthy of love. Um, Obviously, there was some pride mixed in there too. um, But it was mostly like, I don't want to admit to this person that I'm bad and unworthy of love. Um, Another one for me was uh, lack of body love and confidence, which I'm sure a lot of people... (laughs) can will resonate with this, but I had a really deep wound, a deep sensitivity around, uh, body image from childhood that I've shared on the podcast before, but it really implanted in me when I was about seven or eight years old, um, having this lack of body confidence and just being aware that I wasn't perfect and that I should change my body or I should try to change my body. And that's very young to start thinking that way. Um, And so it was just, again, it was adopted as like part of my personality, that it was just always there in the back of my mind. So when my body confidence was at its lowest in our marriage, um, I saw our relationship through that lens of lack of body love, thinking that if we had any sort of sexual disconnection or we just weren't lining up or we weren't like super passionate on fire for each other, it must be, I was telling myself, it, was, it must be because you, Chase, didn't find me sexy. Because I didn't find me sexy, you know? And so that only led to more insecurity and more <laughs> dysfunction, more disconnect in part one. It's just this like hamster wheel. Mm-hmm. Um, another one for me was not being able to laugh at myself. I felt like if I laughed at myself, you know, just even silly quirks or idiosyncrasies that we all have that are just, they're unique to us and they're imperfections and they're funny sometimes. If I, if I chose to highlight those and laugh at them, it meant that others could laugh at me too. And that felt like I was showcasing my own incompetence, that 
not that I wasn't actually smart or capable or, you know, competent, basically. Like I had this very deep sensitivity of making sure others perceived me as capable and smart and, you know, with it. And last one I'll share, um, I, I was really terrified, I would say paralyzed by fear of making mistakes and failing at whatever. So this would even prevent me from joining in, t- in to a game that I thought I wasn't going to be good at or wasn't uh, going to be able to pick up right away or I would just want to quit if I wasn't like immediately good at something. Um, and again, this is my, my self-worth attached to what I do. And this deep sensitivity of being perceived as worthy of love based on what I do and and what I can show people that I can achieve. Yeah. Hey, homies. If you're anything like Chase and I, you really enjoy exercise and building a healthy, strong body. Obviously, what we do inside the gym is important, but what we do outside of the gym is just as critical to our success like the supplements you're using to support your results. One of our favorite conscious body brands is called Keon. We've both been using Keon for a few years now for muscle building, strength, and recovery. Keon is well known for being super clean, super tasty, and super effective. Our supplement trifecta. Chase and I both use the aminos, the whey protein, and the creatine on a regular basis. Yes, creatine is for women too. And Keon's is top of the top shelf. To learn more about Keon, head to our medicine cabinet at themedicine.com and use the code medicine, M-E-D-I-C-I-N, for a nice discount on any and all Keon products. Enjoy. And going back to a point you made earlier about fear, like this is where fear is the opportunity. It, yeah. is, it is not to be um, completely shit on and buried because it is a little nudge like, hey, there's something here. Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's a little avenue here yeah. for you to work through something. Yeah. So we want to share some resources with you guys. Uh, if you're feeling like, man, I really need, I, I'm feeling called to like lean into this area of ego, persona, self-love, self-worth. Um, Some books that I would recommend are Original Blessing by Matthew Fox, Finally Thriving by Alison Pillow, Succulent Wild Woman by Sark. Great name. That book is so hilarious. Yeah, she uses the the name Sark, S-A-R-K. It's like Sarah, Angela, something, something. Mm -hmm. Um, And the last book I have here is Inward by Young Pueblo. For podcasts, two that I would recommend it for this area is called With Love, Danielle, and that is Danielle Laporte. And then secondly, Mark Grove's podcast. We just had him on our show, and he had us on his show, um, and that was a freaking blast. But he, he talks about self-love, self-worth, um, self-empowerment a lot, and he's he's been a major teacher of ours. And then thirdly here, uh, these systems for learning, uh, I would recommend human design and we, uh, recommend our friend Victoria Jane. She's on Instagram and she teaches a lot. She has courses and everything. If you've never looked into your human design, it is fascinating. And then, you know, if you've never had an astrology reading can be life-changing and this really, 
um, gives you insight to different aspects of yourself. Um, and, and for that, we always are ride or die Adriana Beta. She's, she's been a, a, an amazing teacher and mentor of ours and she's been on our show four times now. Yeah. She's, yeah. she's our fairy godmother. Yes, she is. All right. So that's, that's a little bit about the ego and, and about us and our personalities and our persona. Next, we're going to talk about the personal programs, these unconscious, you know, first 15, 20 years of your life, things that are sort of happening to you. You're like a, you're like a little um, piece of clay mm -hmm. in these various hands of it's your parents, it's the school you went to, it's mm -hmm. the community you grew up in, it's the sports team you played for, very much so if you grew up religious. They're, they're shaping the way that you yeah. oftentimes are going to express yourself in the world and it becomes an unconscious thing. So this is the nurture of nature, yes, nature and nurture. Exactly. Relationships <laughs> can show you where you've been groomed, where you've been programmed. And you've probably heard it said that we marry our parents and we marry at the level of dysfunction because our parents' relationship is the first relationship that's actually modeled to us. Mm -hmm. And in our personal subconscious programs, we can tend to define relationships and define love based on those early examples. Mm -hmm. So people can subconsciously base their future relationships off of what they've observed from their parents or from their community during their upbringing. I mean, I feel like this plays out all the time. Mm -hmm. Like men who have moms who like way overdo it, wipe their asses, treat them like royalty, <laughs> often look for partners who can take care of those same needs. Mm -hmm. And even if it, it starts out with a spark and it's sexy and it's very romantic, most of the time it'll lead to codependency and grooming of your romantic partner into your mother. Yeah. And then it can leave the feminine completely resentful and bitter. Totally. More severe. Say you grow up with an abusive father and he's abusing your mother or, or, or vice versa, right? you are more likely to subconsciously pick a partner that will harm you, that's aggressive, maybe even abuse. This could be for numerous reasons. Um, and maybe it's because you consider this as love. Mm -hmm. Due to the traumatizing experience as a child, it's like not really a conscious decision. It's just this personal program yeah. that until you become aware of it, it will just run on autopilot. Mm -hmm. And it can go either way. Like if you yeah. have, if you have uh, a, a, say an alcoholic father, you could observe alcohol and be like, I'm never touching alcohol as long as I live because my dad is, you know, the worst or you could pick it up into your life and those are both programs, but it's just like depends on the person, obviously. So it can go either way uh, with with observing our parents' relationships. Yeah, well, and it can be good too. You can have a really healthy example yeah. and it can be programming you to, to, to yeah. look for that in, in life. I feel like, you know, some people feel like when their partner fights with them, it proves that they love them because so many mm -hmm. people have come up through very toxic um, home environments where the parents argue. Yeah. And that's passion. And that's passion. Yeah. yeah. And so that, that's the programming that we're talking about, you know, communities or group definitions on relationships are also, uh, and love are also really intense programs that can have you showing up in relationship in very specific ways. I mean, we grew up Christian Christianity has this men are the head of the household 
and you know women cannot really be leaders yeah. uh, type mentality many churches put this idea like literally into practice and it keeps women very small mm-hmm. and sticking to subservient roles yeah like unconsciously regardless of how great the men are if they're from these communities they can start to project these subservient expectations on their partner literally just from the community yeah and again like if that's what you grew up in like i did we both did but as a feminine growing up in that you just think that it's part of your (laughs) your personality and there's so many things that i've detached myself from now that i realize like oh that's not serving me i'm gonna release that even though it was part of most of my life yeah so so again i'm gonna give a few different examples of my life and really um our relationship showed these to me about my personal programming One, I mentioned a little bit in my ego, but some core values of family and of love languages, loyalty, quality time, and acts of service. Why? Why why did I feel so comfortable in, in kind of like respect and quality time in our relationship? Well, that's because like my household growing up, those were core values of the family dynamic. Those were core values of my parents' love languages. Mm-hmm. And it I had a beautifully loving family. But there wasn't necessarily a ton of physical touch and there wasn't a whole lot of words of affirmation. And so what this resulted in was in those love needs that you had that might have been more words of affirmation or physical affection, I ended up being quite cold, quite distant. I had just a level of discomfort with that Mm -hmm. type of affection because it wasn't a part of my yeah. It's funny because like those two that you mentioned, physical touch and words of affirmation are like my highest two that and, I, <laughs> and, and, and physical touch has been completely shifted for me and is, is an yeah. absolute number one or two for me now. Um, from religion, guilt and fear-based decision-making. Mm-hmm. I found that in our relationship and the way that we interacted, even with other friends, I had this, I should do this mentality when making decisions instead of I want or we want. Mm-hmm. Um, even when it comes comes to my job, I stayed in a job that I really hated because I should stay in this. Yeah, I felt guilty that I had such an opportunity that yeah. I couldn't squash it because I was miserable. Or I should go to this event because it's good for my networking. It's good for my career. Yeah, but it grinds my gears to wear a suit and you know kiss it, kiss the asses of a bunch of rich people. <laughs> Because of this sort of like guilt-based authority um, worshiping environment that religion really ingrained in me, I had a hard time with not making decisions without some level of guilt or fear. The, The idea that if you sin, you'll go to hell. If you disobey, you'll get in trouble. That is such a religious like staple of yeah. of Christianity that I couldn't even think about like buying a house or or making large financial decisions without fear and guilt. Like, yeah. and, and again, I wasn't even a Christian, but because of the fact that I came up through that commu- that uh, community, I was so ingrained to think that way. Yeah, sexuality is another one. Mm-hmm. Guilt for being sexual at all. Guilt for expressing libido <laughs> at all. There, there's a there's a taboo nature to anything sexual when when yeah. you're younger in the Christian community, masturbation, 
even just being horny and talking about it, yeah. being attracted to other girls and just like having thoughts of having sex with them or thinking about them naked. Like these are really primal, normal things. Mm-hmm. And guess what? They don't go away. They stay, stay, stay around forever. Yeah. So when you've been taught that thing, you know, the first, basically Christianity is like, don't have sex till you're married. Well, and then if you think about sex or have sex or do th- something sexual, you need to ask God for forgiveness because it's a sin. So that feedback loop for the first 15 to 20 of years of your life, something sexual, oh shit, I did it, it's wrong, I need to ask for forgiveness. That loop doesn't just go away when you get married and mm-hmm. you can have sex. So disassociating sex and shame and guilt for guys and really for girls, mm-hmm. like coming out of that community is really, really challenging. And that's something our relationship showed us is mm-hmm. we there was clunkiness in being super sexy and it wasn't like um you know when we were kids and stuff we had great connection it was really yeah. organic and, and we were so freaking horny that it was just like <laughs> we we just were hooking up and having a ton of fun but when we got to being adults and and life got more serious we we didn't really know how to step into our yeah. our sexual identities yeah um and then physical appearance you know i think the community that we came up with it was just clearly like um it wasn't feeling well and feeling whole. It wasn't like, how are you sleeping? How are you pooping? Um, it was like, are you fat or are you not fat? Yeah. <laughs> That's And so I, I went into my, my our relationship and I talked a little bit about my ego and the way that it viewed um, health. And it was so influenced by the fact that our community and, and families and, you know, even like the church communities and school communities, it was like, if you're not fat, you're healthier. If you're fatter, you're you're unhealthy. Mm-hmm. And so like, these are things that in our relationship surfaced and sure, I learned some things about myself, but then I was like, whoa, even deeper than this, yeah. there are some personal programs that have been put into my psyche that are now showing up. Yeah. Thank you for sharing all yeah. this. Uh, so for me, along the parental programming, childhood programming areas, um, what came up for me first was suppressing my voice and going basically just going along with what whatever authority system is telling me to do whether that's my dad in the house or god in the sky or pastor at church or principal at the school like always you're almost looking for the authority figure to tell you yeah what is good what is right how you should behave what you should do what you definitely should not do It just created this uh, relationship with authority um, that I maybe don't deserve to have a voice or I need to suppress my voice and just listen to others. Um, And in my family, you know, growing up, I was the youngest child for a long time. And I just learned that I observed whether it was real or perceived. I learned that it was best not to rock the boat too much. It was best, you know, if I just didn't really share my negative emotions too often. Like my parents didn't show me any space. My mom did. That's that's not true. My stepmother and father uh, really couldn't hold space for like negative emotions like sadness or depression or anger, anything like that. There was no space for that. So I just learned that I needed to be tough. I needed to suppress my voice, suppress my emotions, suppress what I was feeling. And it definitely carried over into our marriage. When I was uncomfortable or upset, I would think, I don't want to burden him with this. 
So I'm going to suppress my voice. Um, and yeah, it was really, really destructive for me. Um, now that I know that I'm a human design projector and that's like signature of the projector is using your voice. <laughs> um, next one I have here is operating out of shame and guilt, which obviously we've talked a lot about at this point. Um, you know, just growing up in the church, relig religious programming, everything comes from shame and fear and guilt. And, you know, that I, I had this idea that I needed something outside of myself to save me in order to be good because I was born bad or broken or sinful, whatever word you want to yeah, use. That's a good one. It's just, it's so ingrained from, from day one of Sunday school. It's like, you're really bad, but don't worry because Jesus is perfect and he's going to save you. Yeah. Like, that's what I heard. And I'm not making fun of Christianity, but it's a really, really deep sensitivity because it's really awful being told that you're bad and broken mm -hmm. and wrong and sinful and then it happens so often that you just accept it sort of with joy. Yeah. That's fucking wild to me. Yeah. Now when I, I can step back and look at it. Um, yeah. <sighs> okay. Next one for me is avoiding hard topics. There were many, many taboo topics, not only in church, not only in school. Obviously, we went to a Christian school together. Um but in my childhood, in my household, anything related to sex, like I remember asking my dad about where babies came from and he was like, I'll tell you when you're older. Well, that never came. So like that was just clearly off limits, like taboo. We don't talk about that. We still don't know. We still don't know. Still a mystery. Um, questions about religion. There was no, there was no encouragement of asking deep questions around the faith, Christianity, religion, <laughs> God in general. Yeah. Oh yeah. When it was like, Hey, this doesn't make sense to me. It was like, just have faith. Yeah. Just got to have faith. Um, and, you know, I just want to slip in here. Like, it sounds like we are, we are bashing religion. And it's not that. It's that we have deep sensitivities from how we were mistreated for so long, so long in our life. And also the sort of like hypocrisy that was very evident all around us um, that it, it like you can stand back now and look and be like, Oh, so that was fake. Everything you said was fake yeah. because you're not actually living your beliefs. And we're talking about not religion. We're talking about religion that's been programmed into you without your choice. Yeah. And so if you're choosing religion yeah, as totally. an independent free thinking human being, great. I love that for you. If it brings you closer to love and closer to what you interpret God to be, cool. That's how it should be, is your choice. Yeah, and and so we're talking about how it's been programmed without yeah. choice, without freedom of choice. And then where it does cross the line, in my opinion, is when, if it is working for you, I will hug you and be happy for you for yeah. that. But if you tell me that I have to choose it, it's not freedom for me. It's actually impeding on my It's freedom. oppression. Yes. Yes. All right, I digress. Um, so anyways, all these taboo topics in church and school and my household taught me that 
you know, I really needed to stay away from hard topics, that I should avoid certain topics. Um, I really had this aversion to kind of talking about difficult things. And certainly that carried over into our into our marriage. Um, last one for me that I wanted to share was that I had this story, this mentality that I that you have to grind and, and be miserable and work your ass off to be successful, that it can't actually be enjoyable. I witnessed my mom who was a single mom and she was, she's like one of the hardest working women I know. And, but I always, I always saw her working really, really hard mm -hmm. late nights as a hairstylist, you know, trying to make things work and, and give us a, a good life and provide for us. And I'm so grateful to her, but and then she also had she, she also had hobbies and a garden and a yard and like upkeep and I just always I never saw her resting, and I'm not I'm not blaming her I'm not like she likes staying busy but because I witnessed that from my mom and then from my from my dad and stepmom they were grinding through stuff that they didn't necessarily like to do just to acquire more money so that they could buy the toys yeah. that they thought would make them happy. Yeah. So on both sides, I saw like you have to grind, it has to hurt, it has to, you have to be miserable to be successful and to enjoy your life. Yeah, that's like American culture, pretty pretty heavily. Yeah. Athlete culture, yeah, that's, and, a, and that's a big one. Still to this day, I have to convince myself to rest. Yeah. And even in the process of resting, when it's like, man, this feels so good, sitting in the sunshine for five minutes, you know, in between interviews or something. I'm telling myself sometimes, like, you could be answering DMs. <laughs> yeah. And so I have to convince myself that, like, dude, dude, girl, it's okay. Yeah. You can rest. You can rest. All right. So some resources here under the childhood programming uh, books. It Didn't Start With You. Great by, one. Yeah. By Mark Wolin. Clarity and Connection by Young Pueblo, freaking love him. The Conscious Parent by Shifali Saberi. And The More Beautiful World Our Hearts Know Is Possible by Charles Eisenstein. Then for podcasts here, I have The Great Unlearn by Cal Callahan. Living 4D with Paul Check, one of our absolute favorites, go-to, he is such a goat. Um, and then John Wineland, he doesn't have a podcast, uh, himself, but he has been a guest on like 100 podcasts yeah. and specifically, uh, him being a guest on almost 30 podcast was really, really great that I think you wanted to point out, right? Yeah. I, I can't remember if it was the almost 30 podcast or the Luke story podcast, but mm -hmm. he talks a lot about grooming your partner into being your parent. Some like, mm -hmm. uh, unconsciously. Yeah. yeah. Luke story is another one that's really, really good, uh, with John Wineland as the guest. All right, so moving into how our relationship teacher shows us archetypical patterns mm -hmm. of humans yeah. and big macro energies that are at play. Yeah, so archetypes, we've, we've certainly mentioned them in this podcast. We've, we've talked about them uh, in previous podcasts, but just to refresh, if this is your first time listening to us, First off, what is an archetype? Let's talk about that. So from this book that I'm reading right now, The Women's Wheel of Life, she says archetypes are powerful inner patterns, dominant forces within all of us. So an example here would be everyone knows the mother archetype, even if you didn't know the word 
archetype exists, right? There are certain characteristics that all mothers have in common. Uh, similarly, the king, the king archetype, king energy, right? We all can kind of recognize that. Or like the archetype of death, just knowing that death and rebirth, like there is this process that happens. So it doesn't necessarily have to be a person, like a mother or a king. It can be a concept. It can be a process, something like spring or summer. Like those are archetypes too. So they all add context as the fabric of experience in life. Then the author goes on to say, and the purpose of familiarizing ourselves with archetypes is to better understand our behavior, our responses to certain situations in life, and our deepest longings and desires. So another definition from Carl Jung, he says that archetypes are universal inborn models of people, behaviors, and personalities that play a role in influencing human behavior. His theory suggested that these archetypes were archaic forms of innate human knowledge passed down from our ancestors. I really like to think of archetypes with an analogy of like vital organs in the body. So like thinking about your heart, it's sort of like in its place, it is operating without your conscious thought. It's just beating and, and, mm -hmm. and moving and functioning. In fact, like if no one actually told you about the anatomy of the human body, yeah. you may not even know that you're living your entire life with this pulsing beat of something. You might be like, yeah. I don't know what this sort of like just a thud in vibrating my chest. pulsing beat of life uh, <laughs> that's in this, this shell. Um, but once you're made aware of your heart, how it operates, um, what its function is, how you can actually support your heart through your behaviors and your decision-making. You might even be able to give it more power, make it more effective mm -hmm. once you put consciousness towards it. Mm -hmm. Or have gratitude for it, yeah. for all the work that it does for you. Like an archetype. Yeah. You can't really remove it. It's there. It's happening. Mm -hmm. It's going on unconsciously. Yeah. And so what you can do is you can you can become aware of it. You can learn about it. What are its traits? What are its characteristics? And begin to take actions that are not contradictory to its innate purpose. Yeah. You know, which would cause like disease and pain and resistance if you're doing things in your life that are not good for the health of your heart. The same way with archetypes. Yeah. You could be doing things in your life that are against the archetypical patterns of these things that you embody mm -hmm. like masculinity or femininity or you can actually lean into those energies and, and support it through your actions yeah i think also something that uh is talked about a lot in this in this book that i'm reading is uh when people are moving from one archetype to another it can be a really confusing time and that in and of itself is an archetype it's called the transformer and it's in the middle of the circle kind of signifying or, or representing like the womb, the darkness, the uh, cauldron, you could say, where things are changing and moving and you are going from one archetype to another. So quick example would be like going from a maiden to a mother. You have to go through that transformer archetype to be yeah. transformed into a mother, you know, having giving birth 
is a transformational process. And so if you are unaware of these or unaware that you are in the middle of transformation, it can be really confusing and scary. And similarly, if your partner, this is how it relates back to, you know, all of this is relationships. If your partner is going through a change and you are completely unaware that these things called archetypes exist, you could be really bitter, really frustrated, impatient, and just be like, you are changing. Who are you? You are not the person I married. Yeah, huge point. Yeah. So really, uh, it, it absolutely plays into understanding ourselves and this macro, you know, these patterns, but also directly with our partner. Yeah, for sure. And there's a seemingly endless number of archetypes. It's not like there's just like 10 archetypes. For example, there's the broad archetypes of the masculine and feminine. But underneath each one, under the masculine, there's a ton of sub-archetypes like the king, the warrior, the magician, the lover. And similarly for the feminine, that's kind of an umbrella archetype. And under the feminine are you know, the maiden, the priestess, the, the sorceress, the, the dark mother, the transformer, the daughter, like all of these. So that they all kind of fall under uh, these kind of broader archetypes. Um, it's not our goal today to go into these different archetypes. Jung, Jung believed that there is potentially no limit to archetypes yeah. because they come from the collective unconscious. So like, just think about that. All people throughout all history in, uh, in the universe, all of that unconscious space, that's mm-hmm. where these archetypes are arising from. That's so cool. And it's, it's so like, it's like, it cool. has to be unending. Yeah. There has to be like, we can't even wrap our mind around the amount of archetypes that there are. I'm going to do it. <laughs> are you? I'm going to figure You're going to memorize out. them all. Mm-hmm. So just a little word of encouragement, like. Don't try to wrap your mind yeah. around all of these. Just know that they exist. Today, we simply want to share that these things called archetypes are real. They exist. They create the fabric of our life experience and how having a basic understanding of their function can help us all navigate life and derive meaning from our experiences in life. Totally. Hey homies, have you ever wanted to get more medicinal mushrooms into your day, but don't really know where to start? I get it. It can be a really confusing and frustrating place. There's so many brands and spoiler, most of them are filled with grains like rice and oats to bulk up the end product. Now, it's not going to hurt you, but it's completely diluted. That's why we only choose real mushrooms for all of our extracts, because it's just that, only that, real mushrooms. Organic, non-GMO, and third-party tested multiple times for the beneficial compounds. My favorite right now is the Tremella. She is the beauty queen mushroom, supporting deep hydration and glowing skin. I blend about a half a teaspoon into my coffee every morning and my skin is loving it. To try Real Mushrooms for yourself, go to realmushrooms.com and use the code MIMI, M-I-M-I, for a nice hefty discount. Remember, we only ever share what has made a significant impact in our lives. Enjoy, my loves. 
All right. So once again, taking a look at, at you know, how the relationship has been a teacher um, for the purposes of realizing archetypes at play. For me, Archetypes of Masculinity. You mentioned it. Warrior, King, Magician, Lover. It's actually a book. And there are just four uh, primary masculine archetypes that, uh, for me, I was just completely unconscious to when we were when we were married. Each one of these archetypes have an immature and mature versions. Um, each mature and mature versions also have like shadow sides when they're out of balance. Mm. And so in part one, you know, just using a couple examples for me, I unconsciously embodied a shadow version of an immature king masculine. A balanced king archetype is confident, calm, critical thinker, uh, reflects inward on you know the best course of action before making moves rather than reacting and having a temper and being hasty. Uh, he controls his temper. He controls his desires. Uh, he acts with wisdom, grace, maturity, really in, in any situation and is prioritizing how he can ensure the best outcome for everybody involved. The archetypical king is self-aware, understands his own weaknesses and failings, as well as how to best overcome these. So, back in part one, fucking mustache hair in my mouth, <laughs> feeling powerless in an early career, in a marriage that wasn't healthy, I was craving to be a king, but without having matured enough and without having balanced my life, I sat in immaturity and unbalanced. Thus, I resulted in what is called the high chair tyrant archetype. The high chair tyrant is the embodiment of entitled, arrogant narcissism. He wants attention and praise and respect, but he doesn't want to lift a finger to get it. Mm -hmm. He aims to get this through intimidation to those he can control or overpower he shows anger and he's volatile you know he's traditionally unsafe i mean i wasn't this to the fullest i wasn't an abusive husband i wasn't a complete narcissist you know rage-filled human being but i had these little glimpses of characteristics that suggested i was more like a high chair tyrant than i was a king it was more like the like energy and attitude was unsafe not like physical safety yeah. I wanted respect and attention in my relationship, but was not physically or emotionally present enough to have actually earned it. So the other thing that, that comes up for me as I look at masculine archetypes is my relationship to the archetype of the lover and the shame that I had around it. The lover is the archetype of emotion, feeling, and sensuality. When a man taps into the lover archetype, he feels alive with vigor. He's connected to the world and, and, and people and, and things of life that are around him. He feels deeply. He's typically gentle and soft with vulnerable confidence. Regardless of whether they're happy or sad feelings, he is this very deep, gentle mm -hmm. individual. I've always been gentle. I, I'm not super alpha, like chest-pounding Hercules of a man. Like, I'm not like Dwayne the Rock Johnson. I'm a bit I'm a bit more tender. I'm a, I'm mm -hmm. a deep motherfucker. I want to talk about the meaning of life and the meaning of love. I'm obsessed yeah. with it. Knowing this about myself, feeling this about myself as a younger man, because of kind of the world we live in and and because of this like glorification of of masculinity that's like very alpha and broy and fucking wolf packy, I buried it. I suppressed it. I was embarrassed. I was I was ashamed that I was a gentler man. And so oddly enough, that 
suppression and that compartmentalization of my innate strength as a masculine lover morphed into something that was gross. It was angry. I would find myself feeling anger uh, that was so beyond anything that I'd ever mm -hmm. felt innately, like bursts of anger over things like, you know, sports. You remember, I used to fucking like, cuss out refs and, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, like, get technical fouls all the time um, or bad traffic, just completely losing my shit in bad traffic. Um, or when I fucked something up, when it, when it was my fault, I would lose it. I since have embraced this version of my masculinity and I actually allow it to show up in relationships with you, mm -hmm. but other, but with others as well. Um, the way that I interact with nature, the way that I interact with art, these mm -hmm. are things that I'm gravitating towards as a gentle masculine yeah. lover. Those same moments that used to trigger a hostile response have either completely subsided or they're so faint. It almost seems like I'm experiencing a memory of anger mm -hmm. in my mind yeah. and without feeling really the need to express it at all. Yeah. And so just, just our relationship showed me two things where I was sitting in this out of balance version of the King and all the times that I suppressed the mm -hmm. lover. Yeah. Which again is, is a reflection of your authenticity, right? Because right. that was deep in you. Like that was who you truly were, was this gentle, you know, lover type. Yeah. And you were trying to be what other people were doing and being around you and uh, I could see how that would create resentment and anger inside of you there where it's like, uh, when it's really like your own authenticity. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. For me, so in 2018, I first became intrigued by the expressions of the general archetypes of the masculine and feminine through teachers like John Wyland, who we talk about all the time, and uh, London Angel Winters. It just, it felt like a, an a major light bulb was turning on inside of me. And then I could then look back on our marriage and see like, Oh, that's what, what went wrong. Or there, there's one place where we weren't stepping into. We didn't even know that these things existed. So of course things were going to go wrong. And it just felt like I had new eyes to see our relationship. And then learning more about the nature of the feminine energy. It, it really gave me permission to lean into that and, and know that it was okay and, and that I didn't have to suppress it or judge it or whatever. And it really felt like this whole new part of my being was just like magically opening up. So that was my first, uh, you know, how I was really affected by these archetypes in my life um, was first just learning about masculine and feminine. And then that in evolved into curiosity for more of these like sub archetypes. And as I was learning from Alison Armstrong, she talks about these developmental stages, which you could call archetypes that men go through. And when I was reading this book, it's, I had so many like moments that were just clicking. Um, so she talks about the page, the knight, the prince, the king, and the elder, and these different stages that men go through for different amounts of time. But basically all men go through these stages. And then in each stage, the man has completely different motivations and desires. So 
the knight is more drawn to adventure and, and, uh, you know, winning women and wooing women and, and just like having a blast with life, you know, think of like college days, right? Mm, Yeah. That's very much like knight energy. He's, he's not really worried too much about like building his kingdom yet. He's in it for fun. Um, and then once he gets into the prince stage, he's built, he's actively and intentionally thinking about, hey, what kind of kingdom do I want to build? Sometimes this happens at 22 for men. Sometimes it happens at 32 or 42. It just, the age doesn't really matter, but there is a time when a man is faced with, hey, what am I leaving this world? What's my stake? You know? So that's really prince phase. Um, And so suddenly I understood that in part one, when we got married, you were going through a transformation from playful, adventurous knight to the prince stage where now your primary motivation was building your kingdom. Mm -hmm. And I think this was really confusing to both of us. And this unconsciousness led to disconnect between you and I, that we, we couldn't necessarily explain it. But now having this awareness, I'm able to observe these stages that we're both in and support you like a queen supporting her prince that is building his kingdom. And not only that, but actually building alongside of you, with you, building this kingdom with you is so much different than me just observing you hating your job from afar and not understanding why you stay there, why you're in it. But like, I think that that happens a lot with women and when their man is in this building his kingdom phase and they're completely like, why don't you care about me? You know, why don't you care about the relationship? But it's because... Because he does care about the relationship and the kingdom that he is putting all this energy yeah. into into actually building. So now I just feel so much more equipped to to build and support with you. And and then moving through these other stages that, that you'll go through. Like I feel like I'm I'm equipped to support you. So now today I'm intrigued by these sub archetypes of the feminine. I've mentioned this book a couple times, The Women's Wheel of Life goes through 13 different archetypes of the feminine and I'm really identifying with a few so I just wanted to share a couple first is the lover Um, this has been really significant in my life (laughs) the last three years with you in part two really rebuilding our relationship and our connection and forming really healthy habits for communication and relationship is like always the forefront of my brain There is nothing in my life that is more important than our relationship. So I'm definitely in the, in the lover, in the lover phase, in the lover archetype. And so for the lover, um, you know, my focus and challenge is to figure out how to hold my power and place in this male female dance And then how to surrender fully to the process of love and relationship with you while establishing and holding on to my individuality, not getting lost in the relationship, but like fully stepping into my authenticity and my individuality in a way that adds to the relationship and and only supports you and I. So that's the lover. And then, um, as I'm reading this book, uh, I wouldn't have necessarily like thought this of myself, but this archetype of the midwife is really interesting. And you could also think of it like mentor or facilitator. 
She has firsthand knowledge of the transformation of birth, like birthing yourself in some creative capacity. This could be physical birth or it could be um, like just birthing yourself through the transformational process. And she is ready to help others do the same. So that's what a midwife does. She's helping, she's literally helping others through this process of birth. So as a midwife type archetype, I have chosen to trust, take the leap of faith to suspend more rational and logistical thought for more feminine and intuitive, nonlinear ways of knowing. And then, and then using that to help others through that same transformation. So, you know, specifically in my life, spiritually, you know, really asking myself, what do I believe? How can I lean into my intuition and my experience of life and love and God to really establish what my own spiritual beliefs are, not just take some that are on a platter handed to me from a parent. And then love, stepping out on the, the ledge of getting reconnected to, to you and rebuilding our relationship. And then career, you know, stepping away from dental hygiene and being transformed into this, I, I don't really know what I am, you know, like I am an educator of HCC and mushrooms and we also have this podcast, obviously. Um, and then I also work with women in a, you know, course type setting. So I'm changing and evolving into more of this mentor type facilitator role that feels really, really good. And it feels really rewarding for me. And so this is, you know, when we call upon the greatest powers that you know, to help guide you in sort of like crisis counseling for others, that's the midwife. And this is directly uh, shown in my education of women, like working through HPV, teaching them about AHCC. I'm literally helping them, guiding them through this type of crisis where they are being invited to be transformed. So that is the midwife. Just by exploring, again, exploring and celebrating these natural stages in relation to our partners allows us to nurture growth, evolution, reflect more authenticity in life, and, you know, really approach evolution from the space of compassion and curiosity for both. Um, so some resources for you guys uh, for the archetypes here, if you're, if you're being called to kind of lean into these more. The Amazing Development of Men by Alison Armstrong. The Awakened Woman's Guide to Everlasting Love by London Angel Winters. King, Warrior, Magician, Lover by Robert Moore and Douglas Gillette. The Women's Wheel of Life by Elizabeth Davis, and basically anything from Carl Jung. And then for podcasts, uh, episode 78 of The Medicine with Adriana Beta, we go, uh, we go into archetypes and tarot, which is a really cool episode. And then again, Living 4D with Paul Check. He talks about archetypes all the yeah. time. Basically, <laughs> every episode, he's talking about archetypes to some degree. Yeah. Wow. That's a lot of info. A lot of great stuff. Thank yeah, you for is. sharing your heart. Um, and yeah, just a, just a sliver of, of what you can learn here. Last thing, just a few bullet points on, on really like, what can we do with this awareness? Cause a lot of this is around awareness, right? But, but being able to put it into practice, what I love is, is, uh, you know, just, just 
some quick actions. Yeah. Walk away items that you can start making real change. Yeah. What do we do with all of this? This was a lot. This was a long episode. You guys have stuck with us until the end. And so what I wanted to start with here is number one is identifying the root, whatever it is that you're trying to get a deeper look into or, uh, you know, really work through with your partner, maybe identify the root without judgment whether that's from the archetype that you're moving through or a a religious programming, or maybe it's just part of your ego or persona, whatever it is, it's critical that we approach this with compassion and curiosity rather than shame, guilt, and judgment. It's important because we want to think about these as deep sensitivities that need more love me suppressing my voice as a child and then having that as I grow into an adult, that's a deep sensitivity. It doesn't need to be judged anymore in order to be fixed. It needs more love and acknowledgement, not shame. And we as humans are naturally averse to things that are painful. So if the foundation of our self-development is based in shame, we will likely find ourselves turning away from actual development because it's highlighted with the pain of shame. Then on the flip side, if the foundation is compassion and curiosity, that feels so much better to the nervous system. And then that allows us to lean into the evolution with less resistance and more acceptance. Yeah, I freaking love that. And then then I think like, which is what I would say is like next step is just start acquiring tools. Yeah. Um, they're all over the place. It can be quick uh, to start accumulating, but it's going to be a longer process as you start to put them into practice and start to embody them in your life. But you can start right now, like books, podcasts, courses, mm-hmm. listening to the medicine podcast, programs, but, but, but then self-work, you know, yeah. meditation, journaling, art, talking to your soul, getting to know you past the mask of the ego. If you're open and you're asking the right questions, like your intuition will speak to you. The answers will be felt through you. Be mindful of the signal that you are transmitting to the universe. Yeah. Oftentimes it just comes down to asking the right question. Totally. And then lastly here, once we accept it with curiosity and compassion, we start acquiring the tools. Then just observe the trigger or program as it arises, when it arises, and do your best to embody the new tools. But ultimately, this is a process. Like awareness can feel like a flip of a switch, but changing programs is an absolute journey and process. So recognize that just you being conscious of whatever undesirable program that you ultimately want to shift or transform in your life, just being conscious of it is growth. That means that you are moving from unconscious to conscious. <clears throat> and that is evolution. Love it. So good. That is it, everybody. Thank you for hanging with us. couple things before we go. I got to know. My love, what is your medicine today? Mm, my medicine utilizing the benefits of raw dairy in my life. 
I went most of my life, as I mentioned earlier, I went most of my life thinking dairy was not great. And I just didn't know that raw dairy uh, was was it, was really what was healthy. And so I'm, I'm really grateful that I was introduced to it and I'm feeling amazing. My digestion has never been better. And uh, yeah, I'm just really grateful for it. And it's definitely medicine for my body. Love that. Me too. I'm, I'm having a blast with it. And, and mine's really similar. It's like, I've, we, we have a couple of new like little snacks around the house. And, and one of them are these little gummies, these beef gelatin gummies that we flavor with uh, mangoes and, and strawberries and bananas. And they're delicious and they're, they're super nutritious. And uh, there's just been really fun. So I love having new little changes in our, in yeah. our lifestyle. Um, sourdough pancakes, more sourdough pancakes is another one. And so uh, just, just living this sort of uh, proactive, productive, metabolism supporting uh diet not diet but just like changes to the way that we eat has been fun and i like the fun and the novelty of it so that's definitely my medicine i know you didn't ask me what was my medicine but (laughs) you didn't didn't pause for me to ask um but that's it so all right love it love it guys thank you so much for hanging in there thank you this was a good one a long one but we appreciate your ears Mm -hmm. and uh really really curious to see how uh, you guys think um, this can play out for you. Let us know. Hit us up. We want to know. Yeah. Share with us. Tag us on Instagram. I am Mimi underscore the medicine. Chase is at the Chasen one. And we absolutely love when you share with us that you're listening and what you thought of the episode. All right. Go spread some light. We'll talk to you next time. Okay. Bye. If you liked this episode, make sure you hit that subscribe button in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you prefer to listen. This will ensure that every episode drops into your library automatically. Also, make sure you're following me on Instagram at Mimi underscore the medicine. To learn more about our favorite health products, foods, and supplements we discuss on here, along with the discounts, visit themedicine.com forward slash medicine cabinet, or just check the show notes for this episode. Until next time, cheers, boo.